Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Decatur City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Decatur City Church app where you can find access to all of our recent message content. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope you enjoy the following presentation and I hope it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, good morning, good morning, and welcome. I am so excited to be here. I think the most important thing I could tell you right now is that I am a homegrown Decatur City girl. I was born and raised here um, and lived all of my life, uh, really until I got married. And I love this city. It was a great place for me to be born and raised. I can see from just being back around here in the area that it is still a remarkable area in which to grow and be raised and have kids and all the fun things. I should tell you a little bit about myself since I'm gonna be sharing my story with you here today. Um, Like Lane said, my name is Lane and I work on staff at our Woodstock City campus. I get to work with our groups ministry, which is a lot of fun. I've been doing that for about four years at Woodstock City. But in all honesty, in about a couple of, about a month, the end of October, I will have completed my 26th year of serving on staff within North Point Ministries. And it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thanks. My husband is also on staff at Woodstock City, and he's worked there a lot longer than me. He is our director of engagement there. And like me, he's been in the organization 23-plus-ish years of longevity of time within North Point Ministries. And together, in just a few weeks, like mid-September, we will be celebrating 27 years of marriage. Yes, it's been great. We're still having fun and all of that. We have two kids. Uh, My son, Harrison, he's 25 years old and he uh, works at our North Point campus. My daughter is 23 and she is an overly caffeinated barista at a Starbucks up in Canton. So if you're ever heading towards like Tennessee, you know, whenever that happens on your radar, stop by the Canton Starbucks because she would be thrilled to serve you there. So, uh, oh, oh, and I almost forgot my favorite thing to tell you today is we are grandparents of a two-year-old grand girl named Henley Saylor, and she is indwelling and inhabiting the fullness of being two, if you know what I mean. Like, she is all about the twos, and so we are as well. But she is the pride and joy of our lives. We love having her in our lives. So, like Lane said, we are on week three of the series, You'll Be Glad You Did, Timeless Advice for Troubled Times. And this whole series has been around this idea that our lives are connected by the choices that we make every single day all along the way. But our choices don't just affect us, our choices affect other people as well. But the great news is that wisdom is available for all of us in order to help us make great decisions that hopefully yield better lives. And I'm excited to talk with you about this today, not only because I have vast personal experience in both good and bad decision-making, but because in my role, I get to witness the effects of both kinds of choices every single day as people share their stories with me. And so maybe for me, rather than saying our lives are connected to our choices, I would probably say that our stories are connected to the choices that we make every single day. And again, not only our lives are affected by our choices, but our choices have the effect, ability to affect the storylines of others as well. Because I believe at the end of the day, our lives are really just 
a compilation of stories, aren't they? Like an ongoing narrative that's constantly being written, filled with plot lines and characters and conflicts. And all of us, as the main characters in our stories, don't we want to make really great choices so that our stories will end well? Don't we all kind of want to get to happily ever after? Now, I don't know about you, but in my family growing up, Our kids, we watched the Disney movies all the time. We watched them, almost all of them, and now we're getting to do it again with our kids. And one of the things you know, if you've ever watched any Disney movie, is you know they have mastered the art of happily ever after, haven't they? It usually starts with a main character, right? Because you gotta have something to build the story around. And this main character, usually in the first few, you know, section of the storyline, usually endures some type of challenge or heartache, right? I think one of Disney's favorite go-tos is the loss of a parent, right? Think Bambi, Cinderella, Tarzan, Lion King, Frozen, Nemo. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but that usually is one of their go-tos. And then somewhere along the way, this main character is confronted and has to make a choice. And we would say, ah, they didn't make maybe a great choice. And that choice lands them in perilous circumstances and has the ability to threaten all of their relationships, But as the storyline goes on, this main character realizes the error of their ways and they set about righting the wrong and trying to do the right thing and be the right kind of person. And always in the nick of time, their friends come to help them and they overcome every obstacle along the way. The villain is defeated and the end is better than before. And not once have I ever seen any of them need counseling at the other side of any of these adventures that they've gone through. And you know, they've been through some stuff. Because in a Disney movie, everything always works out, doesn't it? They really do end happily ever after. And the amazing thing is it only takes about an hour and a half for them to do that. Now, wouldn't it be great if our lives could work that way? I would love that. But here's the thing we know is that real life is not quite that simple, is it? I mean, we all know that things don't always work out happily ever after. Prince Charming isn't. The castle, it's cold, it's damp, it leaks, it's drafty. There's no fairy godmother and the dragon is alive and well. See, here's the thing. No matter how hard that we try, we can't control the things that happen to us in our lives. Whether it's the result of decisions that we've made or it's the result and we're finding ourselves on the other side of somebody's bad decisions. We just can't control everything that happens in our life. But... We can choose to decide how we're going to respond to those things. And in my story, it's made all the difference in the world. So I would love to share a little bit of my story with you and a couple of the decisions that I've made along the way. And in order to do that, we need to flip back a few chapters in my life to when I was 15 years old, growing up right here in the great city of Decatur, Georgia. So at 15, I made the decision to become a Christian, but I did not tell anybody of this because I was afraid if I told somebody, then they would come back and say, well, you've got to go to church now. And I did not want to go to church. See, I loved God. I just didn't love church. And the reason for that is because not so long before my decision, I had visited church with my best friend. And the easiest way for me to sum it all up is just to say, it was a bad church experience. If any of you ever had a bad church experience? Yeah. Well, here's the problem. I wished it had been a great church experience because at that time I was in a desperate place. Home life, school, relationships were all 
so difficult for me. At that time, I was full on big time mode eating disorders. I had gone from 110 pounds all the way down to 80 pounds in the course of a summer vacation. I ended school year at 110, came back at 80 pounds and still thinking I had more to lose. And I knew enough at 15 to know that I had set into motion patterns that I did not control anymore. Those patterns were calling the shots in my life. And I honestly, if I would have told you, I thought, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to survive this. These patterns are just too powerful for me. All I really knew was that if I didn't make it, I'd get to be with Jesus. But until then, I was just going to have to figure out how to endure this life the best that I could. And it wasn't going so well for me. But fast forward three years, I'm 18 years old, and I go back to church again. And it's because a friend invited me. And when I say a friend invited me, it wasn't like he said, hey, Elaine, you want to go to church? And I was like, yeah, I was, I was just hoping somebody would invite me to go to church three years later. It was like, he'd say, hey, Elaine, you want to go to church? No. Okay, next week. You want to go to church? No. You want to go to church? No, the next week. And probably by the 10th or 15th time, I realized that I was up against a serial inviter. He just wasn't gonna stop. And so I said yes to go to check it off the box. And I'm so glad I did because I found myself underneath really great teaching that started to make sense to me. I started a group, going to a group that was for people like me that were just trying to figure out our way through faith and had a lot of questions. And I started making friends. But maybe the best part of all for me at 18 was the more I was learning about Jesus, the more I wanted to be like him. I understood somehow that Jesus could make my life not be so hard. Maybe could help me not be so relationally dysfunctional. The problem was becoming more like Jesus and experiencing the things that he said I could experience, things like joy and peace, was going to be a process for me that was going to involve a lot of decisions that I was going to have to make. I wasn't really sure they were going to be very easy ones. See, up until then, life had been great at that point of when I started going to church. I liked my church. I was loving reading my Bible. I loved all the new friends that I was making. And I think I would have told you, yeah, I'm making solid progress in my relationship with God, which is why it was so awful when I ran into the reality that following Jesus was going to require things for me that I didn't feel prepared for. And quite honestly, I didn't want to do. And I don't know if you have been in that situation when you feel like you're being asked to do something that is just, you don't want to do it. And in my case, not only did I not want to do it, but even if I had wanted to do it, it was impossible what was being asked of me. See, here's the thing I was learning. Not everything Jesus says is exactly easy for us to do. In fact, I was in my early 20s when I remember reading something that Jesus said that for me seemed impossible. And it's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 44. I'll never forget this verse. And here's all it said. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, this verse made me sick. I did not want it to be in the Bible. I thought there is no way I can actually do this. But then I was like, all right, hold up, hold up. This is just one tiny little sentence in the big book full of a lot of sentences. What if I just focused on maybe doing all the other things, but I just didn't do this one little thing? Like, that had to be okay, right? I mean, God probably wouldn't even notice that I wasn't doing this one little thing. 
Do you ever reason that way in your head with things that you are finding yourself up against that you're like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. But the one thing I knew was that if I was going to become the kind of person that Jesus said that I could become, I was going to have to make the choice to not just say that I believe the things that Jesus said, but maybe more importantly, I was going to actually have to act on the things that Jesus said. And I was angry about that. Because see, this verse, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, I feel like it's really easy to do like when you don't have an enemy. But it's really, really hard when you do have an enemy. And I'm not talking about that person that frustrates you or somebody that you just don't like. I'm talking about an enemy, the person at whose sound of their name or the sight of their face makes you so angry you're not even rational. I'm talking about an enemy, the person who comes into your life, stomps all over everything that's valuable and precious to you, and then walks out and just leaves you there in the middle of it. An enemy, someone who, in all honesty, if you thought you could never have to see them again, if you thought they could be smited off the face of the earth, you'd be not only relieved, but glad. See, part of my story that I haven't told you yet is that if you would have flicked, flipped back a couple chapters in my life to when I was 12 years old, here's what was going on in my life. The age of 12 began what was, for me, a long season of abuse from a family member. Now, as a result, I lived in shame and guilt and fear and anger. And I struggled because I thought, what if this is all my fault? And because of that, I didn't dare tell my parents. I didn't dare tell anybody else because I thought, oh my gosh, if I tell, they're going to be frustrated with me. They're going to be disappointed in me. They're going to wonder how it is that I could let this happen and continue to happen. Like, why didn't you tell somebody? And at my age today, when I look back on that 12-year-old version of myself, I am so grateful that we have done such a tremendous progress in helping teach kids to just tell somebody, it's okay if it happens, just tell somebody about it. But at that time in my life, I was just trying to learn how to survive and keep it together. So as you can imagine, I was not the most emotionally or relationally healthy person on the planet, right? I was 12 though, I was young. I was trying desperately to figure out how am I gonna survive this and how am I gonna protect myself in life? And so I made two choices at that point. My first choice was that men were not to be trusted. It's like I had a great big bucket and I took the entire gender and I threw you all in there and I labeled it bad, unsafe, danger, don't go near. And then the second choice that I made was I was gonna just bury all those emotions that I could not understand how to even possibly navigate. So I took the shame, I took the guilt, I took the fear, I took the anger, and I buried it deep down inside me and pretended it didn't even exist. I learned how to smile and to say that everything was fine. Everything's just wonderful. It's so delightful. In fact, had you known me at that time, you would never have known I was as desperately miserable as I was. See, Some of you in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? 
And you know that it's exhausting because trying to keep those emotions stuffed down is impossible. I mean, they refuse to be ignored and they're going to find ways to express themselves. And it's usually within the context of relationships, which is incredibly inconvenient and usually in very unproductive, unhealthy ways. So I had an enemy and he had a name and he had a face. And the last thing in the world I wanted to do was love or pray for this person. In all honesty, I thought it was incredibly insensitive of Jesus to ask this of me and really of anybody that had been through all of this. I mean, he knew everything about my past. He knew every incident, every last detail. I felt like if anybody deserved to pass on this particular verse, Lord, it was me. I mean, how was I supposed to love someone who had stolen so much from me? How was I supposed to pray good things over somebody who had done so many bad things to me? I mean, I loved Jesus at that time. I really did. But my ability to say yes to him stopped at that moment. He had overstepped. He had gone too far, in my opinion. But that verse, it wasn't going to change. Every time I checked, and I checked a lot, it never changed. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And so I knew at that point I had a choice that I was going to have to make. And so I'd love to tell you a little bit more going forward in my story. Hopefully you'll see how I began to slowly inch my way through this. And because you now know a little more about my past, you probably won't find it a surprise that forgiveness, just like learning to love and pray for my enemies, was just going to be one of those other things that was going to make following Jesus feel impossible for me. So remember, I was in my early 20s when I came across this verse, this impossible verse that I didn't want to be in the Bible. But at the same time, in that same season of my life, I was also learning about the things that Jesus said about forgiveness. And I was learning it from messages that I was hearing. I was learning it from things I was reading in the Bible and also from the wise people around me. And in the course of that time, I found myself being confronted with the challenge to forgive my abuser. But remember, the abuse in my life hadn't stopped so very long ago. It still felt real fresh. And I thought, no, God, you are asking too much for me. This is not fair. In fact, God, if you're interested in my opinion here, I'd love to share with you what fair looks like to me. Fair looks like to me, you extracting wrath and vengeance upon his life and making him suffer and be miserable. And if you would do that, God, then maybe we could have a conversation around forgiveness. See, at the same time, though, as much as I wanted that, and I was wrestling with that, I was so longing to be free and to move past the pain and the hurt and the anger in my life. I wanted the benefits of forgiveness. I wanted to be on the other side of forgiveness without actually having to do all that messy, sloppy, hard work that comes with actually working through forgiveness. All the junk in my life that had been accumulating since I was 12 years old. And in the end, I knew I had a choice to make if I was going to trust God and do what he's asking me to do. The thing is, at first... Forgiveness just doesn't tend to make sense. I had all the feels, like my feels inside of me, my emotions were opposite of forgiveness. It was like anti-forgiveness, right? That's what my feelings were telling me. And my emotions were like, oh my gosh, Elaine, if you do this, you know that you're basically giving him a pass. You are giving him a get out of jail free card. You're just making an excuse. You're excusing it all the way. You're actually justifying it. 
saying it's all okay. And I was really in that place. But as I was learning more about Jesus, and maybe more importantly, seeing how he modeled forgiveness, I was realizing that, no, it's precisely because it's not excusable. You can't justify that kind of stuff. It is not okay. It is not fine. I'm not giving him a pass. But you can't undo what's been done. And the option to stay in my emotional yuck in all of that, I could do that and stay in my resentment and anger and unforgiveness, or I realize forgiveness could be a really essential, necessary step in my path to healing. So there's two things that stand out to me in this season. I made the decision to stop making every single guy pay for really what only one guy did in my life. And the other thing I decided was that if Jesus could forgive and model it for me through the cross, then I'm betting he could teach me how to forgive myself. So I made the choice to forgive. Now, fast forward three years. I am 25 years old. I am engaged to be married. We are in love. And I am sitting in front of our premarital mentors. They were counseling us about what it's like to be married. Al and I are sitting there. And they said, hey, Elaine, they weren't talking to Al. They were just talking to me. And they said, hey, Elaine, we just want to prepare you for this, that you know, once you're married, don't be surprised. Like, don't be surprised if some of these issues from your past kind of come back up and you find yourself dealing with some of the things that maybe you, you know, weren't expecting. I was like, well, thanks. I appreciate that. I know you care about me, but we are in love. Like, you don't, this is true love and love conquers all. And I'd already forgiven like three years ago. So I think we're going to be good. And they were like, okay, you know, so we get married and guess what? They were so right about the whole thing. Marriage introduced a whole new level of issues that for me were going to need to be dealt with. And I was so mad about that. It was incredibly unfair to me that I now found myself confronted with wounds that I didn't know were there, were not my fault that they were there, and they were coming at a time in life where I should have been my happiest and most carefree. In my book, this was just one more thing, one more way that this enemy of mine has stolen something from me. And I tell you this, unlike me, my abuser, he was sleeping fine at night. He was going about his days. He wasn't thinking about me. He wasn't thinking about how his choices had affected me. He wasn't aware of what was havoc was being wrecked in my life at that time. And I thought to myself, yeah, no, I'm not going to forgive this one. He doesn't get this one. I mean, I may have worked on it, but no, I'm not forgiving this. This is too much. But I had learned enough about forgiveness and had learned enough just doing life with God that I knew that I could not forgive. I didn't have to, right? But if I did, I would be asking Al, my husband, and any future kids that we had, to bear the burden of these wounds that I just would not deal with. I was going to be the source, the reason for unhealthy, dysfunctional patterns that would be created in my marriage, in my family, and in the relationships with people around me 
that they were going to have to navigate around because I simply refused to forgive and I wanted to hold on to my anger. And I also knew, and it was already kind of starting in my marriage, that this idea of blaming was going to find its way and start seeping into all kinds of areas of my life. And it was already happening, like I said. And how that looks is what I'm talking about is like, when Al and I, as married couples, would ha- a couple, would have conflict or there would be something coming up and we would realize that, hey, there's something dysfunctional happening here. There's a, a way of doing this that has to be better than how we're doing it and, you know, require people to grow up and deal with it like mature adults. I wasn't able to do that. I didn't want to do that. And I would say things to him like, well, I know that I, know that I should be able to do that, but gosh, honey, you know, I was, I was abused. And it's, I know you feel like you're mad at me. You're not really mad at me. You're mad at him. We're mad at him together. And that's why I just can't get past this point. And I should have a pass. And because my husband loves me, he was like, okay, you know, you don't have to do anything. It's okay. We'll figure this out some other way. And I kind of liked that. I mean, it was working great for me. It wasn't working great for him. Certainly wasn't working great in our marriage, but it was working great for me. And as I considered working through forgiveness, I knew that I was going to have to grow up and give up acting like, a victim and playing this blame game. So I made the choice to actually take responsibility for my life. And I began starting to refuse to let abuse be an excuse for me to not continue to push forward and do the hard work of healing. The way I figured it was, Jesus had already taught me forgiveness on a level here that I knew about. These new issues came up, I just chose to trust that Jesus could teach me how to forgive those deeper wounds as well. And so I did. I pressed on forward with the choice to forgive. And I will tell you, that was some of the hardest work I did. Now, fast forward another 10 years. I'm in my mid-30s. And guess what? We are happy in marriage. Things are working out great. Our kids are great. Our lives are great. Things are going well. And I am seeing how the choices that I'd made in my 20s and on and on and on through all of the forgiveness was, had landed me to this place in my storyline that was really nice. And then Andy preaches a series about how Jesus loves every person and wants to have a relationship with them. And there was one message in particular that I heard that by the end of it, I found myself being confronted with the challenge to let my abuser know that I had forgiven him and to share Jesus with him. I was like, huh, I hadn't thought about it in years. Now here it is front and center in my life. And I talked with my husband. I was like, what am I going to do? Like, what, what do we do? Like this, like... We landed on me writing a letter because that was like the most I felt comfortable with. And even at that level, it was scary to me because once you mail the letter, I have no control over how it was going to be handled. I had no idea what he would say, what he would do, would he show up at our doorstep? What was he going to say to other people and the family about all this? Just didn't have a clue. And I was really scared about that. And when I get all in my head about stuff like that, I have to go back to what I believe most about Jesus. And that is that Jesus loves people who are far, far away from him. And my abuser was far away from God. Then God reminded me, Elaine, you, had, you were far away from me too at one point. See, I was comfortable with the idea of God loving and wanting a relationship with those people that, you know, I had forget, you know, I was okay with, right? And I, I didn't mind him wanting that with, they, they deserved it right? I was okay with him wanting to have a relationship with people that deserved it. What I wasn't okay with 
was people who were like my enemy, him wanting a relationship with them or anybody like him. See, forgiveness was fine as long as it kept my abuser outside of the circle that I was in. It was another thing entirely when you start talking about he wants a relationship with everybody. And everybody meant everybody, no exclusions. And so I wrote and mailed the letter. And do you know what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. It was silence. In fact, I don't even know if he actually got the letter. But at that point, I knew that I had made the right choice. It was not the easy choice, but it was the right choice. And for me, there was great peace in that. Now, fast forward another 10 years, I'm in my mid-40s, and I'm on staff at our Brownsbridge campus, and I had been asked to share about my story of forgiveness. And I thought, okay, all right, well, we'll figure this out. And I was reflecting on my journey and just thinking about how good and how kind God had been to me all along the way. And then clear as day, God spoke to me and said this, Elaine, there's one more thing I'd like you to do. I'd like you to go to him in person and tell him you've forgiven him. And then I want you to tell him about me. And because this wasn't my first round of forgiveness with God, those previous rounds had seemed to work out pretty well for me, and that paved the way for an easier yes. So I invited him to lunch, and we had a very honest conversation about the past. And I told him that I had forgiven him. And I told him about what God had done in my life and all that he'd done for me, and that he could do for him too. And as I sat across from him in the restaurant, all I could think about was I was sitting across from my enemy, the person whose choices had resulted in a ton of pain and dysfunction in my life. And all I could muster up for him, all I could feel towards him was love. This was somebody with whom my prayers had gone from, God, please smite him. Just get rid of him. Make him suffer. Make him hurt to being, okay, God, well, I won't pray those prayers about it. I won't pray against him anymore, but don't ask me to pray for him. I won't do it. To all of a sudden in that restaurant being, oh, God, please, please let him experience your love and your grace. It was overwhelming for me to realize that Jesus had brought me full circle back to that verse in my 20s, that impossible verse, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Forgiveness had paved the way for me to love and to pray for my enemy. Now as for his side of the equation, he owned it, yeah, It all happened, you're right. And he told me that it haunted him every single day. And by the way, he did get the letter and he still had it. And he thanked me for having the courage to talk to him because he said, I never would have brought it up to you. And he said that knowing that I had forgiven him helped him feel like he could finally begin the process of forgiving himself. Now, what took me about 20-ish minutes to share with you actually took over 20 years to be accomplished in my life. And I will tell you that at 20, it was more than I could have imagined sitting across from him at lunch that day, forgiving and loving my enemy. 
It would have been more than enough to even think of forgiving him, let alone loving him or praying for him. Now, that's just my story. Yeah. I don't know what this means for you or what you're grappling with. I don't know what impossible thing you are finding yourself up against with God. But here's what I do know. With God, the impossible becomes possible. One choice, one step at a time. Do you remember at the beginning where I said that our stories are connected to the choices that we make every single day all along the way and that other people's stories are affected by our choices too? And maybe they're most affected by these impossible choices that we find ourselves facing. See, there's another part of this story that I haven't shared with you that I would love to. That day over lunch with my enemy, I knew I was going to be speaking at Brownsbridge, and so I invited him. I said, why don't you come and just hear me and know that I have no ill will towards you? Like, just come and listen. Just come and give it a try. And he said, nah, I'm not really a church person. And he wasn't wrong about that. He's not a church person, right? But what I found out was that a couple of weeks later, he and his wife watched it together online. And that as they were watching that, his wife was processing two things. The first was she had been abused by a family member when she was young too. And then she saw from my story that God had gotten me to a place with forgiveness that she didn't even know was possible. And that launched her on a journey to figuring out and discovering God for herself. Now remember, they're not church people. She didn't know what to do, but she knew that I was at Brownsbridge. So she went on the Brownsbridge website and registered for Starting Point. And if you're not familiar with that, it's a class for people that just have questions. They're exploring their faith in God. And she invited her husband to come and he said, you know what? I support you in your journey. That is not my journey. I don't do the church. I don't do the God thing, but you can go. And then the night before Starting Point started, he came to her and said, hey, you still doing that church thing? that thing at the church? She was like, yeah. He goes, well, I think I'm going to go with you. And they went every single week, eight weeks, didn't miss one. And at the end of the eight weeks, he told the leader, he said, I feel like I've been waiting most of my life for this. So my choice, my continued choice to forgive resulted in me learning how to love and pray for my enemy and him learning how to begin the process of forgiving himself and his wife beginning the journey of discovering God and what it could look like for her to forgive her abuser and together them learning about God's forgiveness. See, our choices are actually so much bigger than us. And as a church, we want to be the safest place in the world for each one of you as you are considering the choices, the impossible choices that God may be placing before you today. It's because we have no idea what hangs in the balance of our choices. I would love to pray for those of us who are finding themselves coming up against what seems impossible. For me, it was forgiving my enemy. I don't know what it is for you. But what I do know is that when we are in the midst of pain and dysfunction, 
hardship. It can feel hopeless to imagine that anything good can come out of such bad stuff. And God doesn't offer us the pretty bow at the end, but what he does offer you and I is the choice to trust him. Choice by choice and step by step. But that can feel really difficult. That can feel scary to be able to do. But here's what you can absolutely know for certain is this, that God will be with you right there, choice by choice and step by step. So my advice to you today, if I could give you any piece of advice, it would be this. Trust God. Choose to trust God choice by choice and step by step. And if you will, you'll be so glad you did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are trustworthy and that you love us and you care about us. And you're, you're not unaware that we face things that for us seem so impossible to do. And we just get paralyzed and we get locked up in our minds and our emotions are railing against trusting you. But in your patience and in your kindness and in your grace, you continue to invite us to take a step, to just trust you one choice at a time. And you lovingly guide us through it all. So I pray for those who are struggling today with some kind of impossible choice, God. Will you give them the courage to trust you and to keep trusting you and to keep taking each next step all along the way? And then show them, God, how good and how faithful you are because you are good and you are faithful and you are worthy of our trust. Lord, we just thank you so much that you're good and that we really can give it all to you and that you do bring beautiful things out of all the bad, ugly stuff. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.